Hello there, it's Reverend Tasha Blackburn uh, with another episode of our adult Sunday school class, a shorthand version of it. This is the last in a six we, uh, episode series that we've called To What End? Why Being the Church Matters. And it's talking about, uh, we're talking about the great goals of the church, the aims, the responsibilities, the reason the church exists in this world. Um, the reason the Holy Spirit continues uh, to breathe new life in it uh, for these six reasons. And we're going to begin uh, this last uh, session of this talking about what is always in the list listed first. Um, These goals and aims are not uh, given priority or ranking, but this one's always listed first. Um, It is core to who we are as a church, and that is to proclaim the gospel for the salvation of the world. Ha! A small activity, right? The church is called to proclaim the gospel for the salvation of the world. And I want to talk about those in two separate pieces. First, that we're called to proclaim the gospel. What does that mean? And then second, for the salvation of the world. What does that mean? So to the first part, um, proclaiming uh, just very simply obviously means making something public. And as as clear and, uh, and simple as that sounds, we have in our modern world um, really deemed that faith is a private matter. We have decided um, that faith is in the realm of private and of opinions Uh, And so should not or maybe is not appropriate to be shared in public and a world of facts. Um, And yet, here is the great call of the church is to make our faith in Jesus Christ public. Um, It cannot simply be held as a private matter in your own heart. It has to be lived publicly, has to be shared publicly. So, uh, so many of us can feel like if we do this, we will be pushy or judgy um, or all kinds of things. And so what we will do as a default is we will proclaim things about our church to other people. Uh, We'll say things like, oh, boy, you should come to our church. We have the best music or we have the best uh, programs for children or we have we have the friendliest congregation. I wish you would come to church. For those of us who feel nervous about proclaiming uh, the gospel, uh, sometimes the best we're going to get to is proclaiming our congregation. And and as a pastor, I'd like to say, please don't stop doing that. Uh, you know, we need people to share about what's going on in our congregations. But there is a difference between proclaiming what the church has done for you and proclaiming what or proclaiming what the church can do for someone else, you know, that could do this for you. It could provide this service for you. There's a difference between that and proclaiming what Jesus has done for you. Um, The church is more than goods and services in this world. Uh, This is about proclaiming what Jesus has done for us. That can be hard for us, um, but when we think about it, the things... Uh, we should think about are there is a proclamation that we need to be doing for each other. The church needs to be proclaimed to over and over again. We are full of human beings, of course, 
and so uh, fallen and imperfect. Uh, So we proclaim um, to renew the church interiorly. Uh, We proclaim to stand against powers and principalities that we can't even see. We proclaim in our very worship um, that we stand against those and that we know where true power is. And then, of course, you know, maybe we could practice there, right, if we're feeling uncomfortable, because then, of course, we are called to proclaim outside our walls, outside our congregation. Uh, and we proclaim not, not to do the Holy Spirit's work for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do the work of conversion. Um, but we proclaim to do some of the spade work, right, to get the ground ready a little bit so that someone at least is aware. Um, and then the Holy Spirit can come in and do its work. So when we proclaim, as I've said, I love when people want to proclaim their church and their congregation, but what we're called to proclaim is the gospel. And as we focus on that for a moment, I want to just remind you of what the word gospel means. And again, it it sounds simple and basic, but it is hard to hold it uh, in tension with itself. Gospel simply means good news. Good news. Um, Every children's Sunday school class has taught that, that the gospel means good news. But as a church, we are always called to keep it good and to keep it news. Now, I'm going to talk about the first for a moment uh, first here, the good part. We all have had experiences where the good news of Jesus Christ is offered in such a way uh, that it's terrifying. It's a threat. Uh, I went to a state fair once as a kid. I grew up in Missouri. We went to the Missouri State Fair. And uh, one of the carnival workers kind of called my whole family in to come look in these boxes in their tent. And uh, if you peered into each box, it said things like it had uh, tracks from the Bible, scripture uh, verses from the Bible that said things about, you know, where are you going when you die? Um, uh, What, you know, uh, where, if you died tonight, what is your salvation? So, and I stand at the door and knock. Uh, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Um, He is the resurrection and the life. So it was kind of a mixture of like Bible verses and then things we see on billboards sometimes. And then the very last little box you looked into was a bare skull, a human skull. And it was sort of ended with a threat. Well, that is not keeping the gospel good. Um, This gospel that Jesus proclaims and that he asks us to proclaim is to lead to life abundant It is supposed to be a joy to receive and to live out, not a threat of condemnation. So we have to always keep the gospel we proclaim good, and we also have to keep it news. So news obviously means that public peace. It cannot simply remain in our heart. Uh, We have to keep it news. It is something we proclaim publicly. But also, uh, we cannot assume that the culture we live in is a really simple and easy overlay on our Christian faith, that they don't have any rub at all. We've talked about that before in this series. Um, There is a rub there. If we believe that the culture we live in is just simply an acceptable version of Christianity, then we have misunderstood 
the Christian message, and the gospel's no longer news. There's nothing to say here. This fits completely with everything I see around me, which, of course, Christian faith doesn't. It calls us to something beyond uh, the culture we live in. So we need to keep it good, and we need to keep it news, uh, because that is what it is. So I want to share with you the very earliest and most core gospel message of the Christian faith. The earliest message that the Christian churches were sharing is, Jesus is Lord. That's it. Jesus is Lord. Capital L, Lord. So you could say Jesus is the Lord as well. Now, like so many things in our faith, simple to say, complicated to live out. Because thousands upon thousands of people have been arrested, uh, tortured, lost jobs, lost their lives, had to move out of their uh, countries and cultures, all because they refused to live under any other truth but then that Jesus is Lord. What that means is he, he can't be this uh, just a competing interest in our lives. There are lots of many Lords in our lives, and he's one. No, no, Jesus is Lord. There's no competition here. Um, That means that we can't have other allegiances uh, that come before him. We cannot have other priorities that come before him. We are spoken for. Jesus is Lord. And so along with this briefest of statements, what happened in the earliest Christian churches is that in different cities and different communities of Christians, they took this basic faith statement, basic gospel message, Jesus is Lord. And they started to put belief statements under it. Since Jesus is Lord, this is true, and this is true, and this is true, right? They started to make faith statements under it. And this was called the rule of faith, the rule of faith. And each city had a a little bit different flavor of what they put under that umbrella of Jesus is Lord. And you know one of the, probably, you know one of these rules of faith. We know it as the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, with a few changes over the centuries, is basically the rule of faith for the Christian church in Rome. Rome had uh, this banner of Jesus is Lord. And since Jesus is Lord, these things are also true. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then they added things within those. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, these other things are true. And it became what we call the Apostles' Creed. So um, when we think about those beliefs, we remember together that um, what we believe our faith, the gospel we proclaim, is not individualistic like our culture is. Everything around us is about the individual. Uh, but, but our faith is a communal faith as well. There is an individual component to it, but there is this faith of the church piece of it that we join in the stream of the faith of the church. Uh, and so 
when you're thinking about, gosh, I feel weird about proclaiming. I don't, I don't know how to share um, what Jesus has done in my life. I don't know if it's appropriate in the public sphere. I don't know if my opinions are appropriate in the world of fact. I want to recall you back to the, the misunderstanding in our culture. We sort of believe the individual is all, right? But that's not true. We need each other. We need community. The people you know, um, there are people you know who need to hear from you that a faith has mattered to you, that a relationship with Jesus has changed you. They need to know um, that there's a community and that there is a faith that they can come into the stream of, um, that they don't have to figure everything out alone. Uh, I, maybe think about that, that, that we, re- we remember ourselves, that the Christian life does. We remember we talked about these images a few weeks ago. The Christian life does offer this boat, this nest, this fortress, um, this home, this shelter. Uh, the Christian faith offers that. So we don't have to be judgy. We don't need to be pushy. But this is good news we proclaim. We have got to keep it both good and news. Okay, to the second part for today. So we've talked about that we are called as a people, as a church, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news. The second part is for the salvation of the world. Oh my goodness, for the salvation of the world. Let's talk about that for a couple of minutes. First of all, this idea of salvation. I want to go really, really countercultural on you here for a minute. We, um, I'm speaking to you from the Bible Belt of the United States, and especially in the Bible Belt, although throughout the United States, um, salvation can be seen, again, as this individualistic and one-time experience, uh, which is summed up in the phrase, you know, are you saved? When were you saved? Um, you are to uh, be able to name a date and a place and an experience, and it was one time, and it was for you, right? It was individualistic. Now, of course, salvation has an individual piece of it. We are human beings, beloved and created by God, and God would like us in communion with him. We matter, right? You matter in the singular. Of course, there's an individualistic component. But when we think of the salvation of Jesus Christ, that's not touching the depth and the breadth that we can go there on salvation. The Greek word that is used when Jesus talks about salvation in the New Testament, it means health and wholeness which of course salvation brings, but there's so much more, right? If you think about health and wholeness, to live an abundant life is part of salvation as well. And so when we begin to even try to fathom what Jesus means when he talks about the salvation he brings, we can think about what we're saved from and what we're saved for. Much of the time, all we focus on is what we are saved from. And it's a very narrow focus of, I am saved from hell in eternity. That's a big deal, right? Of course it's a big deal. But what else are we saved from 
in our salvation. We are saved uh, from being alienated from God, that we can, we can come back into relationship with God, even here, even now. Imperfectly, of course, but in communion with God, just the same. So we can be saved from that here and now. We can be saved from God's judgment, of course. That's talked about a lot. And we can be saved uh, from our own desires. Paul talks about this all the time, and it's not a popular uh, subject for Americans. But here's what he talks about. He says, in this life, everyone is a slave to something. If you think you aren't a slave to something, you are lying to yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm summing up what Paul says here. I'm not directly quoting him. But he says, if you think you aren't a slave to something, you are lying to yourself. We are all slaves. And he says, I will be a slave to Christ. Now, often in our text, it's a translated servant of Christ, precisely because we feel so uncomfortable about this idea that we are enslaved. But if you think about that, our salvation frees us from being a slave, a slave to keeping up with our neighbor, a slave uh, to saying, I am the sum of my successes, or I am only the pile of my failures. We are saved from that. We are more than those things here and now. I I'm going to be a slave of Jesus Christ. I'll serve him, not these other masters who would demand my attention. That's salvation here and now. Okay, so there's these things we are saved from. And then the thing we not don't talk about often at all is what are we saved for? We are saved for a purpose. What are some of those purposes? We are saved for good works and fruit in our own life here. We are saved for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in our life right now. Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There we are. There's nine of them. We are saved for those things to have a, a role and a starring role in our lives right now. Um, I'm saved for patience in my life right now. I'm saved for joy right now. I get to live a piece of that right now of what I will live eternally. We are saved uh, to be new creations uh, that are beginning to bud even now, not perfectly, but budding all the same. And we are saved for the beloved community, for the church. We are saved to be in that kind of community here and now. That's possible in our lives now. And I know it's listed uh, all the time in the Bible, but we are saved for hope. You know, it, it's not just a get out of hell free card, our salvation. Um, there's that component to it, but we are saved for hope, hope for eternity and hope now. We are called to be a people of hope. And part of our salvation is to save us for that hope even now. Okay. What about that peace for the world? Who called to proclaim the gospel for the salvation of the world? Well, this is when we get into a central question of our faith, a central question of Christianity. Um, oh, it's a large question, and we're going to cover it in about 
five minutes. So stick with me for a moment. There's a large question in Christianity. Did Jesus come for all? Or did Jesus come for only some? Every denomination, every strand and flavor of Christianity answers that slightly differently. Along with that is the question, is faith 100% about human choice? Did I choose Jesus? Did I choose my salvation? Is faith and salvation 100% God's choice? Or is it some sort of mix of percentages in there? Again, every denomination, flavor, and strand of Christianity will answer that question slightly differently. I'm going to share for you today my traditions answers to those questions, or at least the beginnings of them. Uh, Reformed Christianity really, really believes that faith, faith, the act of faith, now responding to faith is a different thing, but the act of faith, having faith in your life is a hundred percent God's work. That's where Reformed Christians fall way over on the one end of this spectrum, and we call it predestination. Dun, dun, dun. That's a word you may have heard before with a lot of freight attached to it. I want to share with you, it is not the same thing as predeterminism. That's a fancy word, but it means, that's predeterminism means uh, God knew I would get that job, um, and and so I got that job. Or um, God knows, uh, God knows um, when I'm going to have a hard time next. Uh, and so God's pulling that string, right? That's predeterminism, that God has predetermined all things. That's not what Reformed Christians believe. We believe we have free will. We believe that gravity holds, right? And physics are true. A car in motion will continue at motion until it's stopped by another force. It's not a puppet on a string. Predestination is different. It's in the title. It's in the name of it itself. It's about the destination. We believe that God has God knows everyone's destination. We believe that God is the one who implants faith in whomever God chooses. Um, and that their destination uh, to live with him again is determined by him. What we mean by that is we mean that our salvation is not based on our good works. We can't earn our way there. Uh, we can't do enough good things um, to earn a place or to earn our faith. Uh, God is the one who gives the faith. God is the one who decides salvation. So if we're proclaiming the good news for the salvation of the world, again, we aren't doing the Holy Spirit's work there. We aren't saving people. We are simply uh, proclaiming because we have to. It has to be public good news. Um, and we do some of the spade work as a fruit of the faith in our own lives. We want to bear fruit and respond to the grace that's been given. Respond to the salvation that God has given. We respond to it with our lives of sharing and of service. Not because we deserved that, sa- that salvation or that faith. So, it's a little bit different than sometimes the flavor of Christianity we hear um, that where the people will say, uh, you need to choose Jesus. Well, for many of us, it's like, yes, I'd love to choose Jesus. <laughs> but 
But faith is a gift to be received. Faith is a gift to be received and responded to. Um, and it's a gift that only God can give. So we believe that um, because we believe that in the fall, we were broken completely. And so I can't even necessarily trust my own choosing. But we also believe that the power of God and the sovereignty of God is more than enough to give the grace that's needed, to offer the salvation that's needed. And that when God offers that, um, it is completely irresistible. That grace is irresistible. And when God offers it, there's no running um, from the salvation and the grace that God offers in our lives. So some things to remember about that when we think about salvation in the world, salvation in our communities and, and our own, is that we are not saved. Um, we don't believe we are saved as an end to itself. We are saved. We are elected. We are given God's grace for a purpose. And that purpose is to proclaim what Christ has done for us. That purpose is to be fruit in this world, to be light in this world, to be the salt, right? And to be the city on the hill. We are saved for those purposes. Um, to bring a little bit of God's kingdom here and now. To be that, that community, to be those people who say, I've been changed and I can't help but live it out. I can't help but live differently now. And I can't help but share that with you. And finally, um, I want to share with you uh, two quotes. I'll, because we have to leave room for mystery here. We are not the first who have wrestled with these deep uh, issues. And we won't be the last. And none of us has, uh, has a corner on all the answers, right? That's why there's a church on every corner. It's because we are all striving to get to those answers in slightly different ways. So I want to share with you two quotes. Um, the first um, is from uh, several hundred years ago. Uh, he, we write this in one of our confessions. It says, first, we must confess that God wills for all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. We believe that in God's plan, all are saved. Uh, God wishes all to be saved. Second, there can be no doubt that all who come to salvation do so not in virtue of their own merits, but because of the efficacious help of divine grace. Just what we talked about before. Anyone who's been saved didn't deserve it. God chose. And third, we must admit that human understanding is unable to fathom the depths of God's judgments, and we ought not to inquire why. He who wishes all to be saved does not in fact save all. There's mystery here. We cannot fathom it all. Our human understanding only gets us so far. And then along with that, I want to share with you uh, a quote from Julian of Norwich. She was a mystic, a Christian mystic who had visions um, in which Jesus spoke to her. And Jesus was speaking to her on some of these issues of like, are all saved? If not, why not? If so, how? How does this all work? You know, that kind of you know, small topic. And then um, in her vision of Jesus, he said to her, when she questioned him, he said to her, what is impossible to you is not impossible to me. Isn't that lovely? What is impossible to you is not impossible to me.
there is mystery here. And in the mystery, um, there doesn't need to be frustration. Instead, there can be beauty uh, and sacredness. So there we have it. The six uh, great aims of the church um, coming to a conclusion. None of these are possible if we attempt them individually. None of them are possible if the church is simply a human institution. Um, we, we might as well just throw in the towel now and take our marbles and go home. Uh, but they are possible. And in fact, our God's will for this world that will be completed um, by his power uh, when we realize that the church is not simply a human institution. It was created by the Holy Spirit. It is sustained by the Holy Spirit and it is empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And so with the Holy Spirit's work, uh, what is impossible for you is possible to him. Thanks so much for spending time with us in this six-week series. Peace.